Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith, and in last week's show, we explored how Husky's product design process has been critical to enabling their Husky Loop program, where they can effectively take back end-of-life Husky products and recycle them into new products without any specialist machinery. They can do it anywhere in the world even though they're made from discarded coffee husks. It was a great example of how design thinking is essential to enabling both recycling and the circular economy. And with that in mind, I thought it would be great this week to delve a little bit deeper into things to be thinking about when creating sustainable products. So my guest is Simon Terry, Head of Design for Product Design Agency People & Things, who specialise in helping sustainable brands breathe life into their ideas. We're going to be talking about design thinking, about how to get the best results from your design partners, about how to think about creating your product to make it easier to recycle, and we do a kind of deep dive into plastics. So with that, let's start the show. Simon, Terry, welcome to the show. Hi, hello very cool that you're here uh, chatting about uh, product design with us today. Uh, very excited that you're here. And so give us a little bit of background before we jump in. There's so much I want to unpick and pick your brains about today if we can. But give us a bit of background to, to well, who's Simon Terry and, of course, people and things, please. Uh, so I'm a industrial designer. Um, I've been doing that for the better part of a decade now. Um, industrial design is the process of, like, actually you know, engineering the products that surround us in the in the world. Um, I've worked across a bunch of different industries, uh, furniture, commercial fit-outs, um, and most recently I'm a consulting designer for a company called People and Things. Um, and we, we focus on helping people build products in a sustainable manner, working across, um, you know, recycled plastics, other sustainable materials, and even working in like circular economy kind of principles into, into products. Yeah. So the circular economy thing is interesting, isn't it? And, and and maybe that's a great place to start because, you know, in, in many ways, uh, the circular economy seems like it's the, the brightest hope that we have for a more sustainable future. And when yeah. it comes to product design, though, what does that mean? Like, you know, we're so used as a society to make, use, throw away, you know, linear cycles. And <clears throat> both from a product engineering point of view and from a consumer point of view, what do we need to be thinking about at the product design stage when it comes to, you know, the circular economy? Um, there's a few different things that you need to think about. So, you know, one that we really push from an early stage is that you need to think about your products, not just as, you know, the thing in front of you, but also the system that is built around that product um you know whether you know i'm just looking around my desk at the moment uh, i've got a candle here you know at the end of the life of this candle can i send that back to the to the company for it to be you know reinvigorated you know so it could be used again um even down to things like you know does this product need to be a physical product am i designing a product that could be a service um rather than you know an entirely new product in the world we do a fair bit of work with companies where uh, it's not so much that we're designing an entirely new product for them, but we're designing an arrangement of different products to build up a system to 
to fulfill the goals that they're they're looking for. Um, you know, Keep Cups are a perfect example of that. You know, Keep Cups are a perfect uh, solution to to the problem of uh, you know coffee cups. But now we're starting to get all of these different Keep Cup brands out there. When you know, really, we should be looking at uh, pushing those systems to reuse cups and, and things like that. Make that a little bit more practical for me, though, in terms of you know, in terms of how we approach that. What are, what are some key things that people need to bring into or think about when they're designing a product? Are there you know mold considerations? Are there uh, you know form and function considerations? Like uh, how do we how do we even begin planning that in advance? Uh, that's a really big question. Um, it usually ends up being uh, there's a different answer for every product that we work on, um, mm. and you need to you need to be very adaptable in your thinking when you're when you're wanting to incorporate that. Um, the big thing I've pushed to my clients when they if they identify that the product that they want that they're building they want that to be sustainable, having a um, acceptance of compromise and change in the process is a really really good idea. Um, and even to the point where, you know, as I said, we do a lot of recycled plastic stuff and um, people are really interested in that. But, you know, maybe accepting that recycled plastic isn't actually the right material to build your product out of is, is something that we we kind of push towards our, our clients. Um, okay. You know, it's not always the most sustainable solution for a product. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, fascinating that you raised that because obviously, um, you know, there's there's so much talk in the press these days and 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 we see that we see the outcome of of the use of plastics everywhere we go you know it's probably one of the most talked about subjects i guess in the sustainability space at least at the consumer level um you know these days so yeah let's let's touch on plastic a bit because i mean on the one hand it's an incredible material right versatile strong you can make just about anything out of it cheap easy to mold easy to make all sorts of things out of it oh yeah yeah, yeah. plastic is not evil like plastic is incredibly useful um it's just that it's also incredibly cheap to manufacture with which means that the uh the applications that get put it gets put into a, a hyper disposal mm. when the material itself is not hyper disposable yeah um so you know when if somebody comes to us and says you know i want to make a, a new disposable cup using recycled plastics then the question just becomes what's the point mm. you just uh you just go give it one more cycle before it goes to trash right that's it isn't it because and i think there's yeah. there's a perception that plastic recycled plastic is is the answer or recycling plastic is an answer to sustainability and you just touched on it a moment that it may not be um so, yeah. so tell us a little bit of what why that is though i mean because not i don't think i don't think it's necessarily common knowledge that plastic isn't isn't an especially recyclable material and why that is yeah so plastic is a uh, it's an oil-based material. Um, it's been processed from oil uh, into the, the rigid plastics that we find all around us. Every time you reprocess that plastic, it loses a little bit of its integrity. So usually what you, when you're dealing with plastics that are utilising recycled plastic content, it's oftentimes a split between uh, recycled plastic and virgin plastic um, because you... You need to maintain the level of quality in in the product. So yeah, plastic's just not actually a super recyclable material. It is a great material and it's a useful material, but it's useful when it's being put into applications that are going to last a long time and avoid it needing to be recycled. Um, so it can be recycled. It's just that you don't want to have to 
be in this constant loop of doing that over and over again because the plastic will degrade in quality. And you do you do see that in some recycled plastic products. They start to get quite brutal and, and don't actually hold up to a good amount of wear and tear. Yeah, right. Um, we, we usually push for recycled plastic content to be going into products that are meant to last, you know, not years, but decades. Yeah, so I mean, so that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, obviously, you see, you, you know, you see some large-scale applications for recycled plastic, like park benches mm. and fencing, and, and and all that sort yeah. of stuff, which kind of makes sense because we're locking that plastic into a much longer life than than a simply disposable yeah. single-use item would be. The longer we can make a product last, when it's a plastic product, the better. So pushing it into things that are meant to have a high value is a really a good way of treating plastic so not treating it like a cheap product treating it like a premium product um we recently worked on a uh, a chopping board um that the the brief on the chopping board was that it was to be an heirloom product yeah you have everybody has a plastic chopping board at home and it's usually the kind of thing that you throw away when you move out of the house mm. um we wanted to make this plastic one that was more treated like a fine timber you know end grain chopping board which the material is really well suited for. Like it's, you know, nigh on indestructible. And yeah, so we designed that with the intention that it becomes the type of product that you can hand down to the next member of your family. It's meant to last, you know, upwards of 60 years kind of thing. Mm. I think those kind of applications where you're pushing plastic up a tier in how it's perceived, that's the ideal usage of of plastics. Um, So, you know, we're starting to see a particular recycled plastic we're starting to see it being put into a furniture application. Um, you touched on it before, like we're looking at park benches or all those types of things. Yeah, generally, uh, you know, things that are going to increase that perceived value of plastic are the, are the ideal application. With regards to the sort of the downstream of using plastic, I mean, if you <laughs> if you've got plastic in your in your products, you know, maybe it is the single use containers or or maybe it's something else what do you need to think about in terms of recyclability is there is is there some things that are like you know in the design process that you need to think of to make sure that that can be recycled at the end yeah yeah so we work very closely with our recycled plastic manufacturer we work with um defy design uh who they are quite unique they actually do the cleaning sorting shredding of plastic next to their production line in the same same warehouse Knowing firsthand, having watched those guys do that process, some of the stuff that you can think about is uh, labeling. You know, sticker labels on plastic products makes it so much harder to clean. You essentially need to have somebody, you know, with a heat gun peeling labels off the entire time. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, So doing things like embossing your label and that kind of stuff into the plastic itself can really benefit. Colored plastics in general make life harder especially like black plastic, that can really contaminate your stream when you're doing your sort and manufacture. Why is that? Is that because the dyes sort of come out of the plastic and pollute everything? Well, it just means that, first off, there is a sorting process that needs to happen. Um, You know, you've got, if you've got a pile of different plastics, we've got to make sure that the black gets sorted from the white, the colours get sorted into their respective colours, all of those different, different things. So, yeah, especially if it's a, relatively short-term use plastic you really want to be focusing on having that as like a clear or a white or, mm. or something like that yeah something that's easy to process if you're running a colored plastic through an injection molder and then you want to run a white plastic through it you basically need to just run 
paths through the molder until it clears out every single particulate of coloured plastic. Um, otherwise, you'll just start getting like colour specs for your, for your white stuff. The other thing you can look at in terms of design is making sure that the plastics are easy to get hold of. So if you're working with a product that's complex, has multiple parts in it, we need to be able to separate those plastic parts from the rest of the product really easily. So that's avoiding things like glue, having a mechanical fixing, a nut and bolt or something like that, or even a, you know, a press fit, snap fit. Uh, on top of that, there's uh, co-molding. Um, but co-molding is where you're bonding two materials together in the molding process. Yep. So the perfect example of that is a toothbrush. Um, you know, a few years ago, every toothbrush in the world was a hard plastic with like the you know, silicony kind of feel, mm-hmm. plastic for the grip. Mm. Those are, we can't do anything with those. They can't be recycled. Yeah. Um, right. Because they're bonding two different types of plastic together at a quite a high level. Yeah. 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 And so that, you know, I mean, all the, obviously there's about, I don't know how many, let, let's say there's 10,000 different types of plastic with all the different polymers and everything else that are in there. Like, are there certain types of plastic that lend themselves more easily to being recycled and being perhaps, you know, recycled at high quality and high reliability that, that, that the original, that the recycled material is still going to be useful? Are there things, are there different polymers that we should be looking for? Most plastics can be recycled uh, as long as they're a thermoplastic, um, thermoplastic meaning that you heat it up and it melts. Hmm. Um, so anything with that classification theoretically can be recycled. Um, rigid plastics are generally a lot easier to recycle, hmm. um, just because machinery can deal with those uh, a lot better. Um, I'm purely talking mechanical recycling at the right. moment. Um, there is uh, chemical recycling, which can break you know any plastic down to its molecular level and reprocess it back into crude oil. Yeah. Um, that's quite cutting edge though um but yeah so rigid plastics can process through uh machinery much much easier soft plastics are more difficult to process they tend Mm. to gum up machinery that's interesting because obviously you know the whole recycled supply chain or recycled plastic supply chain is a challenge isn't it because like you've just described Mm. a whole bunch of expensive activities to reprocess that material into the form where it can actually be remelted you know you talked about human sorting removing glue you know taking sticky labels off you know separating parts all the rest of it all of that's expensive and and so what does that really mean in terms of um you know in terms of the ability for us to scale up a plastics uh, supply chain have you have you got any thoughts on that it's doable um, like you can scale up a recycling facility, you can scale up uh, recycling itself. But you know, if you think about sustainability, and you know, even this is documented in stuff like uh, APCO, like Australian Packaging Covenants documentation. Recycling shouldn't be the get out of jail free card. You know, it's it should be a process of reduction and elimination before we get to that point. I think the beauty of recycled plastics is that it can be done at a small scale and Mm. i'm like personally i'm very interested in like the decentralization of that process you know rather than having a few big factories do we just need smaller you know neighborhood kind of things but really again the push should not be how do we make recycling you know bigger industry it should be how can we reduce the amount of these plastics that we actually need to recycle because it is it's not the most effective way of dealing with this stuff yeah i mean i couldn't agree more i think that's exactly bang on the money that that i suppose the the 
the point I was getting at there was not so much how do we make recycling plants bigger, but <clears throat> how do we get it to a point where the cost of recycling makes it yeah. attractive to use the recycled materials more than simply the, the scale advantages of the virgin yeah. material. That's really what I was getting at. I mean, legislation is the way to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like specifying, if you make it so that, you know, the recycled option is the cheapest, less, uh, least troublesome option for using plastic in a product, you'll get people on board immediately. Not because they're trying to do the sustainable thing, but because right. they're trying to do the economic thing. Yeah, That's right. what it all comes down to. So, you know, the processes that we've got out there are starting to be, you know, very well refined, like automated sorting, you know, automated wash, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, the thing that will push it across the line is actually having financial implications on using virgin plastic in a product. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's exactly right. And but it's, and it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because, like you say, what you've just described is a world where we kind of need legislative change, stroke, some form of government intervention to make those things yeah. cheaper in order to in order to make it make it viable as an alternative. And that that immediately yeah. suggests to me that it's not a viable alternative because I can't I can't see that happening very easily. So so what are the alternatives then? Like you, you mentioned right at the outset there that that, that you know people come to you and say, right, I want to use recycled plastic, presumably because they think it's a great thing to do. You know, it seems, yeah. seems like a nice spin. It, it, you, sort of, you sort of question them on saying, well, it might not be the most sustainable option. So what are some of the other great options, you know, for, for the use case where the plastic is absolutely brilliant? What are some <clears throat> of the alternatives that we could be thinking about? I can tell you what's not quite there yet. You know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of bioplastics or compostable plastics and that kind of stuff. They are being heralded as uh, the solution. Um, I've worked with a bunch of those, and I'm yet to find one that is, you know, economically feasible. Actually, breaks down in compost. Mm. Uh, you know, is there's even a few out there that they break down in compost. They're still oil based, or mm. like you know, crude oil based. Um, so you're still harvesting raw material. Yeah. And that I think is the um the hidden gotcha with those in many respects, isn't it? Because you know, I, I don't know if I want to call it greenwashing per se, but it's you know, when you talk about a product that you've made out of whatever material that is essentially mimicking uh, crude oil based plastic and you yeah. and you say it's it's compostable because at the end of its very long life in the compost it you can't see it anymore. Uh, you know, yeah. there's not visible blobs of it, you know, floating around and, you know, turtles eating it and whatever else. Uh, but then under the covers, you're polluting the soil, you're polluting the ground with whatever else. I'm not yeah. sure that's really better. Well, even if you, you know, there are some out there that aren't actually, they don't pollute when they degrade. Mm. But the source that you're getting it from is still crude oil. Like that's, you know, if you do the the calculations on your sustainability there, it doesn't exactly work out. So, yeah, I think PLA is the big one that I have an issue with. PLA is, I think it can be algal. It's mainly cornstarch-based, probably. And it's the type of thing when you go to get a coffee and the lid says compostable, that's usually PLA. Right. Um, and it's compostable. If you're listening, I'm doing the, the air quotes. Yeah, classic air quotes. Love that. Uh, compostable in certain circumstances, which those certain circumstances 
do not exist in Australia right now. Yeah, yeah, industrial composting <laughs> so, facilities. Industrial yeah. composting facilities. Yeah. Um, I would love to be corrected on that as well. If anybody knows an industrial composting facility that's dealing with PLA, please send me their details. Yeah. No, as far as I'm, I'm aware, you are correct. Yeah, well, I've looked. And yeah, so to answer the question of, you know, what's a replacement product if plastic isn't applicable, I think the big thing I want to say is that if plastic is the right solution for the product, use it. Push to use recycled plastic if you can. If not, use virgin plastic and build in a uh, some form of thinking as to how you're going to deal with that plastic at its end of life. Don't try and replace it with a different material uh, because at the end of the day, a lot of those materials, you're just going to kind of end up going around in circles and creating more of an impact through trying to use different materials. I think the thing that I would get back to, there's a statistic that gets thrown around. I think it's from like the European Design Council or European Sustainability Council or something like that. I'm fuzzy on the details. But the the quote is uh, 80% of uh, product's environmental impact is locked in at the design stage. The big thing I'll just continuously push is don't come to somebody like me and say, you know, I want to make a recycled plastic product. Say I want to make a sustainable product. Say I want to make a responsible product. We we know how to design a product sustainably, mm. but we it becomes harder when we have to initially start pushing back against, you know, recycled plastics not actually going to make your product sustainable. Yeah, I think that's such a such a brilliant point, isn't it? You know, thinking about things differently, thinking about things with a more sustainable mindset means immediately being open to better solutions than you'd already thought about. And, you know, when you're working yeah. with someone like People and Things who are yourselves, there are experts in doing this and in, in matching the right material to the right application. Um, we're better off just going, hey, this is what I want to achieve. Uh, yeah. Help me do that rather than going, I want yeah. to make it out of plastic or recycled yeah. plastic. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. I mean, that's not a golden rule. You know, we have a lot of companies that come to us and just say, like, we're making this product out of virgin plastic at the moment. Can we make it out of recycled plastic? And we're like, yeah, we can figure out a way to do that. And that's going to be a step better. Mm. We're not, you know, everybody doesn't need to go out and try and find the perfect solution. But just being open to different suggestions that could be put out there is, is the best thing you can do. There's a tendency to try to, find the perfect world now because i think we all we all feel the sense of um pressure to make changes yeah. to do things better which is good we need we need to be doing things better but rushing into solutions which 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 may end up having more of an upstream impact than we than we're expecting doesn't really help us in the long in the long term so yeah absolutely right so incremental change yeah. is certainly better, albeit that there, there might be a better step. And that's, I think, the point we're trying to make here is if you're making something out of virgin plastic now and you think, great, well, let's make it better by making out of recycled plastic. OK, good. That's <clears> a step change in the right direction. That's good. But know that having made it out of recycled plastic, it probably can't be recycled again. So that's now its end of life. Right. Um, you know, I don't yeah. think that there are many places that can re keep reusing or open to reusing something that's already been recycled because you don't really know how many times it's been recycled and whether it's going to be good material. I mean, I think the other point that I would make in terms of sustainability and using plastic well, um, it's not so much the material itself, but thinking about the pathway to manufacture. Um, with plastics, 
there's not many manufacturer processes that don't require large volume production to actually make it worthwhile. Um, you know, the big one is injection molding. Uh, injection molding makes most of the products in the world. Um, it is designed to be a high volume production method, mm. um, which is great if you're, you know, making high volume amounts of products. Um, a lot of businesses, when they're starting out, they can burn a lot of their financial runway gearing themselves up to uh, mass manufacture a product via injection molding. And, and you know, saying that, you know, you want to make a recycled plastic product instantly means that you, you know, you're likely committing yourself to a very large product order. So uh, oftentimes, you know, aiming at lower volume runs of products, especially when you're starting out, it means that you're not going to be generating a bunch of products that might potentially not sell. Mm. And then what are you what are you going to do? With it? What's that plastic doing in the world now? Mm. Yeah. Um, so thinking about things not just in terms of like materiality, but your actual strategy to get to get to market can have an impact on uh, your overall, you know, overall product environmental impact. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant point, actually, and I'd like to pick on that for a sec because there's, there's, mm. a, as I understand it, I'm not, I'm not well versed in this space because the only thing I've ever done is injection molding in the past. But there are other types mm. of molding for plastic, aren't there, that perhaps allow you to do lower volumes? Can you talk to that to those points and and what that means for the design process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the big ones we use in uh, recycled plastics is compression molding. Um, compression molding is a very simple form of manufacture my plastic manufacturer now hate me talking about this because it's actually a more labor intensive <laughs> way of making plastic product um but it's uh you essentially get a really simple mold you fill it with your shredded plastic you put it in the oven and bake it to a certain temperature then you just put it under a whole bunch of weight uh and it it's what makes uh the traditionally like that terrazzo style plastic that a lot okay. of people associated with recycled plastic makes really beautiful products. Like, as I said, it's a much more labor intensive process, but it means that you're not going to be trying to make 4,000 mm. of a product immediately. So that's, um, that's one method. And we do use that uh, a fair bit in recycled plastics. Um, the other thing that I would point out that's actually becoming more and more viable every day is, you know, I, Whenever I see a business that's starting out by rather than trying to go down a traditional manufacturer pathway, but going out and buying a you know fairly decent 3D printer and doing their first 200 units on a 3D printer, I love that kind of thing. That is, I think, one of the smartest moves a, a new business can take. Um, you know, 3D printing for years has been quite a boutique industry it's only been used by mm. product development industry and engineers and that kind of stuff you can go out now and buy a you know a really good printer for yeah. less than a thousand dollars um and i see businesses starting all the time where they're manufacturing their first 500 units on a you know consumer yeah interesting printer that's it is fascinating, fascinating. I, and it's also super cool. I mean, who doesn't love to see something get 3D printed? It's a very cool process if you ever watched it. I could watch those for hours on YouTube, I think. Uh, w yeah. Watch that process happen. It's very, very cool. Oh, yeah. I've been doing it for, you know, 10 years or whatever, and I still, you know, stare at the first few layers being put down. Yeah. 
But w- one thing that so this might be a misperception that I have. Um, so please correct this. I was under the impression that 3D printers typically use uh, particular types of plastic that may not be the perfect solution for the product that you're making. If it, you know, because the the you know when I've done it in the past or when I've been involved in the 3D printing process, it's usually been in the prototyping stage where obviously there's no injection molding being made. There's none of that. None of the expensive part of that's been done, and and the plastic that comes out of that is usually quite fragile, quite brittle. Um, yeah, is 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 that still the case? Can can you pretty much do three D printing with anything, or how do we think about that? There are a huge amount of different plastics you can run through a three D printer. Um, the most common of which are PLA, that one I was talking about before, yeah. um, which can be quite brittle, um, and is definitely more suited towards prototypes. Um, you cannot run through, uh, a plastic called ABS through a three D printer. Um, now, ABS is what every piece of Lego in the world is made out of. Right. Um, so that should give you an idea of its kind of uh, quality. Um, there are a whole bunch of like more boutique materials that you can run for a 3D printer as well. Um, I currently, on our printer at work, have a completely recycled filament running through the running through the printer, so that's even becoming an option. Yeah. Okay. And I think the other side of that question is. Traditionally, when we're using a 3D printer, we are using it to prototype a part that will eventually be uh, injection molded. I think the really smart thing people are doing are they're starting to realize that 3D printers are their own manufacturing method in themselves. Mm. And you can, uh, what we call DFM in industry, design for manufacture, um, which is basically the process where you take your design and rejig it to suit the manufacturing method that you're using. Um, people are starting to come up with uh, ways to DFM apart for 3D printing, which ups the performance entirely. Mm. Like if you if you have a part that is designed for injection molding and you 3D print it, it's not going to uh, give you the kind of performance you want. If you DFM it for 3D printing, you're going to get that performance. Yeah, okay. And so presumably, though, uh, that would mean that you would essentially have to redesign your product when you get to a certain scale where 3d printing is no longer efficient enough to actually produce this is uh this is a point that i make to clients all the time you would be over the moon if you have that issue if you have that issue that means that your product's selling well and you can then invest into it to start bringing down your unit cost or go to a different manufacturing method yeah spend that money after you've proven your concept and after you've proven that the market actually wants your product, don't spend with people. Yeah, smart, smart investment timing. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. So it's sort of, I feel like we're doing a bit of a deep dive into plastics here, which is cool. So we, we can't do that without touching on ocean plastics um, because it's a very yes. interesting material, uh, challenging material. And, I, you know, certainly for me, I mean, I got into this whole sustainability game because uh, because of the ocean's plastics problem ocean mm. plastics problem and so tell us a little bit about using ocean plastic as a material like what are some things that people should think about or should they just not do it <laughs> i mean it's hard enough to get hold of it in the first place but then using it is, is a challenge right yeah ocean plastic's a tough one um personally i've never worked on a project where it's actually been viable so when we're talking about plastics and we've touched on it a few times plastic is not a you know, one material, it is an assortment of a million different variations on material. Um, now, when you're dealing with ocean plastic, 
you're usually dealing with a mixture of those variations. When we're manufacturing with recycled plastics, if we have even a slight amount of contamination of a different type of plastic in the plastic that we actually want to use, that can cause manufacturer mm. issues and mean that parts aren't going to process properly. With ocean plastic, you're dealing with God knows what. Um, usually there's no labeling left. There's, you know, a very, it's very hard to actually tell what you're working with. So you don't know what temperature you need to melt that or huge amounts of issues. That being said, I know that there are people out there doing work in that space and it's important that we find a use for, for that material. But at the moment, I'm not seeing a huge amount of super viable ways of doing that. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, there are there are people, we've had a couple of people on the show who are using ocean plastic successfully, you know, to make everything yeah. from, you know, body surfing hand planes through to, um, you know, uh, keep home bottles like Zero Co using, for example, you know, in, in theory it's possible, but... I mean, the, the the people the challenges that people seem to face include things like a what you just said around having a complete mix of polymers, yeah. which is a massive challenge because every polymer has its own its own melting point, uh, which yeah. means that if you've got a mix of things that you're gonna be, there's gonna be some solid chunks and some liquid chunks at different at different temperatures, which is not good from a molding point of view. And I'm imagining yeah. I'm imagining the hair pulling and yelling that goes on in the factory of an, of an injection molder trying to get that stuff through the extremely fine extrusion pipes and whatever else that they've got to deal with. Yeah. I can imagine they don't like it at all. And then, of course, you've got all the the other muck that comes with ocean plastic, the organic material, the silica, the bits of wood, God knows whatever else yeah. that you have to clean out, which get in deeply ingrained into it all. Yeah. I, As I said, I am not the expert in this matter. Um, at I've just never come across a project where it's made sense to actually use ocean plastic, but I am very interested in the people out there that are doing it. Um, I follow the sea bin project quite a bit, yeah. the collecting collecting plastic. Uh, very interested to see what they what they come up with there. Um, the other thing I'd say, and this is where I get on my legislation high horse again, having like publicly known definitions of different streams of plastic is going to start becoming important because. Sometimes when we're talking ocean plastic, the actual definition of that is ocean-bound plastic. Yeah, yeah. So stuff that hasn't actually been pulled from the ocean, but the assumption is that it was going to make it there. Yeah. Which is just, you know, industry waste by any other name. Yeah, well, that, that's correct. Uh, so obviously, obviously very yeah. different. And there's, and you know, and then there's actual ocean plastic versus averted plastic, or um, I forget there's another name for it, isn't there, where it's kind of in the waterways or in beaches, but not actually in the ocean. There's all sorts of different terms for it. Yeah. It's interesting you say about sea being. So I was talking to Peter the other day, and he was basically telling me that that as much as they would like that to be a, a, a you know a source of raw material for something, basically all that gets dumped into landfill. So they take it out of the ocean and put yeah. it into landfill because there's just no commercially viable um, supply chain for it yet. Yeah. You know, so, you know, so it makes you cry a little bit all that wasted material but that's that's an issue we see it's an issue we see across a lot of the kind of businesses out there running a recycling business and again because that kind of circular thinking around products hasn't been incorporated uh they collect all this material and then there's nothing to do with it you know <laughs> i've been to a i've been to a few um just warehouses that are you know pallets and pallets and pallets of collected material with no outlet yeah. for it um so the more we can kind of build circular thinking into products um again talking about that chopping board that i worked on 
the start of that process wasn't, you know, let's design the chopping board. The start of that process was, okay, where are we going to find a supply of recycled plastic that can be food grade? Um, and not until we found that were we even touching the design of the product itself. But the client on that one, I give her all of the props in the world, um, Meg Johnson. She straight up said that the product wouldn't go ahead if we couldn't find the couldn't find yeah. a supply of plastic that was worthwhile using. And, and good on her for doing that. And and it's interesting. Now I am I am explicitly not going to mention the name of the brand that's doing this because I don't want to flame anyone. But it has me scratching my head a little bit. There's a a manufacturer of essentially takeaway containers. Um, in the marketplace now that claims to be making their takeaway containers out of uh, reclaimed ocean plastic. And that's got me scratching my head on top of what you just said. You know, it's a a complete mix of plastics, some of which will not be food grade plastics. So it, it, you know, I can't even imagine the sorting process that they would have had to have implemented in order to make that something that you would want to put your dinner in. This is uh, again, Brumgag, start getting on my legislation high horse um there is no definition for what is a food grade recycled plastic um i have gone through every bit of documentation that vaguely applies to it and there's nothing actually specifying what constitutes a food grade recycled plastic so with the chopping board we actually ran it through um like the european uh, food safety standards um and got clearance on that so we can you know, very confidently say that we've got a uh, a food grade plastic, mm. but you know, we did that with the guys over at Defy Design, and I think we were the second recycling plant in the world to actually have a food grade quality mechanically recycled plastic. Wow! So I, yeah, I scratched my head on a lot of that stuff as well. Yeah, interesting, huh? Um, even the like the food grade verification process. It's done on the final product, not an example of the material. So you actually need to design the product, manufacture the product, and then you can put it towards uh, testing for food grade. How you do that with a mixed supply of plastic where every product is theoretically different, I do not know. No, it's got me scratching my head, like I said. So um, interesting that you you have the same opinion, Uh, you know, uh, slightly confused looks uh, around the Zoom room here at this point in time for anyone that's listening into this show. (laughs) I mean, the food grade stuff also, the point that I've made a couple of times is if you go to like a local market, there's probably going to be some guy that's making shopping boards in his garage. Mm. He's not getting those food grades certified. No, for sure, right? That's absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I think certification and that kind of stuff is um, as far as it's willing to be enforced. So, Simon, if people are wanting to get all this done done properly and they're ready to come and speak to a partner like yourselves, where do they find you guys? How do they get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, so People and Things is online, peopleandthings.com.au. We also have an Instagram page. Uh, I am very active on LinkedIn. I love to talk to people on LinkedIn and call out, uh, you know, Woolworths and everything when I think they're doing dumb stuff. Um, so yeah, I encourage you to uh, follow me on there. And yeah, always, always shoot me a message if you, if you want to chat. Fantastic, Simon. Well, thank you so much for sharing your enormous knowledge and time today. Really much appreciated. And, and I've certainly learned quite a bit as well. So I hope everyone else has too. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Back to Giles again for my top takeouts. 
In case you are in any doubt at this point, if you're working towards making sure your products can be recycled at the end of life, you really do need to give that consideration during the product design phase. The more complicated your product is, especially when it's made from different materials or components, the more absolutely critical that step becomes. We also heard some behind the scenes problems with plastic recycling. Something as simple as adding adhesive labeling to your recyclable product adds time, effort and expense to the whole recycling process. And that's something that I'd certainly never given any consideration to. Of course, all those things hold the process back from the kind of cost efficiencies needed to make recycled resin an obvious choice for feeding back into the supply chain. And lastly, we also heard Simon's advice on how to partner with a design agency. Now, he didn't say this in so many words, but if you're designing a product to use more sustainable materials for recycling or for circularity, then you really do need to work with a partner with expertise in this area. And when that's the case, the best result is to come into the conversation knowing what you want to achieve, but with an open mind on how you get there. Coming in with fixed opinions about the material choice or the design at the start may not end up with the best result, or you may just end up spending a lot more time and money fixing it up later. So I hope you enjoyed today's session with Simon. I'll be back again next week with more stories from the world of sustainable e-commerce. So until then, keep building your brand for a healthier planet. <laughs>